It's really good to have you here. Thanks for joining us in worship here at Fellowship today. I want to just thank you as we come upon this uh, Thanksgiving week. I just want to thank you for being an awesome congregation. It's a blessing to be a pastor here. It's a blessing to serve you, to serve with you. And uh, I just want to let you know that I thank the Lord for you and what you're doing in this world and in this city. And I want you to continue just to be used of him. You're a blessing to me. As we uh, get into God's word right now, I'd like you to take a look in uh, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, as we conclude our series on a life that is set on Christ. And up to this time, we've realized that a life set on Christ is all about relationships, relationships with God and relationship with each other. It's not just this one-time response to get out of hell free card. It's, it's really a, an all-encompassing way of life, of a life that's set on Christ. It's a relationship of grace, not works, isn't it? It's not built on self-righteousness or superiority based on our performance. It's on grace. Grace sacrificing, submitting, and serving in the relations God, relationships God has for us. And grace builds humility, doesn't it? It builds humility, not superiority or exclusivity. And uh, that's our identity. It's who we are. It's not an isolated nook in our lives. It's a transforming power and presence of the person in the work of Jesus. So if you're a friend of an authentic follower of Christ, the gospel is bound to come out. It just can't help itself. A follower is going to love you. They're going to pray for you. They're going to sacrifice for you. They're going to give you a healthy balance of truth and grace. Because what God has done for them is he's placed in their hearts. He's placed in their hands. He's placed in their minds. Even placed in their feet. A vision, a ministry, a mission to advance his kingdom in the lives of people he loves. Now, what we're going to look at today as we go to the scriptures is we're going to get some guidance from the Apostle Paul uh, about ministry. Who's involved in ministry? What do you do in ministry? And what's the result of ministry? And as I read this passage, it's kind of long. And if you're not used to looking in the Bible, it's going to kind of seem long. But here's what I want you to do as I'm reading through this. I want you to listen for names. Some of these names are kind of strange. We don't name our kids these names anymore. But what is, what is Paul saying about these names? Why does he list them? I also want you to listen about his, his roles, the roles that different people played in ministry. And then I want you to listen for his, his heart. His heart as he addresses each one of them, the words he uses to describe what ministry is all about. So listen as I read Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and following. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I will make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. 
Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning you who have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I think there's a few things for us to to uh, to garner off this passage that's rich in names. And we kind of wonder if we're not careful as we read through it. What is this all about? Why does he lift, list all these names? Well, Paul's going to actually share the people who are involved in ministry. And as he shares these people and their involvement in ministry, he's actually going to give us some principles about people in ministry. The first one is this. For the people who are involved in ministry, everyone... Everyone is a minister. There's 12 names mentioned in this passage, but it includes so many more. And there's names that are Jewish. There are names that are Gentiles. And that's the, there's men and there's women. See, that's the liberating truth of the gospel. It was like Paul said in Colossians chapter 311. He says, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ Christ is all and in all. What he's saying is that there's no special people. There's varying responsibilities and there's honor to those who lead us. But their role is level at the cross because Christ is glorified in ministry. Now, I know some of us come from backgrounds where there was someone who was a professional and this professional was sent by God into your life to forgive you, help you get into heaven, speak for God and and give you the check mark on your life. Although that may be religious, it's not it's not biblical. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He intercedes to to the father for us. We don't need any human to get us in or keep us in the kingdom of God. And the scriptures are telling us that all of us have been called into ministry. We're all called, we're all employed in advancing the kingdom of God with everyone. So so the reality is you're either watching God or you're working with God. Everyone is invited to join God in ministry. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a minister. Can you do that? Great. And you can turn to the other person, even if you're an aisle, just shout out, hey, you, you're a minister. Okay, good. You guys can do that. And I want you to imagine there's a mirror in front of your face. And I want you to look in that mirror and just say, I am a minister. Say that. 
Okay, and just so that we don't forget this, I want you to remind me who you are, and I want you all to say, we are ministers. We are ministers. You are, you are, because the scriptures call you into doing that. Why? Why are you a minister? Why are you called into ministry? I don't know. I don't know why we're involved in ministry, because God could do it so much better without me than he does with me sometimes. The reality is, for some reason, our Heavenly Father wants his, he wants his kids along for the ride. He, wants, he gets great joy, he gets great pleasure when everyone engaged, when your life is engaged in ministry. In the same way, like you like to take a hunting trip, you like to take a, a vacation with your family... And you like hanging around them and they, you, you get to experience and take an adventure and to see something greater than yourselves. That's uh, the heart of our Heavenly Father. He wants us to be in ministry. So everyone's a minister. And then the, the second thing that Paul's just going to want to remind us about is everywhere is a ministry. Everywhere's a ministry. Look at the places that are just mentioned this. Paul's in Rome. Where else is he in Rome? He's in a prison in Rome. Probably one of those places we would all go, man, I was serving you, Lord. I was ministering for you, Lord. And you put me in prison. What in the world? And he could have, he could have developed an attitude of anger, of injustice, which it was. It was unjust that he was there. He could have been really ticked and said, oh, that's it. I'm out of ministry. But some of the greatest news that Paul ever wrote and which has been preserved throughout the ages have been his prison letters. What he did in prison really it actually transcended his life. It's the legacy of Paul. And here's a guy suffering for the gospel. One of the last things he says in this letter is, hey, remember my, <laughs> remember me, you know, arrested, incarcerated Paul. Remember my chains. It wasn't a day that went by. That he wasn't chained to something or someone. And here, everywhere he was, was a ministry. Did you realize that about you? And again, I know it's kind of our default switch when we enter in a church and you're called into ministry here that goes, oh, it's got to be within the walls of the church. And you know what? It's not about anyone. It's about someone named Jesus. It's not about any place. It's about every place being uh, the place for ministry. It's not just in the church. It's outside of the church. The, the reality here is that God is opening up our vision. Inside and outside the church. There was the church mentioned in Rome, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. All these places where ministry is happening. And the same thing is true about you. You're going to be released in an hour. Well, actually less than an hour, hopefully, right? <laughs> Unless I keep preaching. You're going, to be, you're going to be loosed. You're going to be unleashed out into this city. And I wish we could just do, we're not going to do it. We're not going to be creepo here. But I could put a little tracking unit on you. And then over tonight, I could just see where God has placed all of us around this city and this region. You know what? You're a little light. You're light with the gospel. God's going to scatter you. And what is he saying? Minister in those places. He's going to scatter you to a neighborhood. He's going to scatter you to a workplace. He's going to scatter you to relationships. Frankly, I could never get into and I wouldn't be effective in. Last time I checked, whenever the name pastor is mentioned in a place, all the air is sucked out of the room. 
Everyone starts putting on their mask. They put on a smile. They change their language when I'm around. You get to see real people. You know who they are and you can minister in those environments. Seems like the only restrictions we place on people and places have been the ones we place on ourselves and on the places God has us. And so that's why at Fellowship, it's so important that every one of us is connected to a ministry. I mean, it's ministry inside or outside this church. And that's why after this service, we have a ministry fair going up, going on upstairs in the loft. Everyone here can get connected to a weekly ministry where you can serve. We want you to do that. But it's not just the ministry fair that happens once a month. We connect you every week. There's an involvement center as you leave this place to get connected in Topeka, in this inside and outside of this church. Because God wants everyone everywhere to represent him. But I, I could end right now and I could, uh, we could finish and we could go home because that's really the only two points I want you to remember. But we've got a big full passage in front of us that Paul keeps talking. So, and I have just over 17 minutes to continue, so I'll keep <laughs> preaching, okay? So once you're in ministry, what do you do in ministry? And Paul's going Paul's to show us that. Let's look at verse 2. The first practice he gives us for ministry is to be striving in prayer. To be striving in prayer. Look what he says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Paul talks about this, and it was really something Epaphras, who was from that city, who reported on the church in Colossae to Paul in Rome. And Epaphras was struggling on their behalf to pray for them. Did you realize the greatest thing you can do in ministry is to pray? There is a temptation in ministry when you're hurried and you're busy and things are happening or things are not happening. To, to be involved in what's called prayerless striving. Have you been there? Boy, there's been times I've been there. I've been so busy in ministry. I've been so preoccupied with the needs of people that for some reason it's faded out of my practices. Prayer fades out of my practices. And can I just be honest with you? It is exhausting to be involved in ministry and prayerlessly strive. On a good day, guess what happens when you're, prayer, when you're involved in prayerless striving? On a good day, you have an overinflated sense of significance. You tend to believe some press. Hey, you are doing a great job. Look at how many people came to that ministry. Look at what is happening there. Man, you are doing all the right things. And frankly, if you're not careful, you can start believing it's because of you that things are happening well. On a bad day, the exact opposite happens. You can, you can move to anger. You can feel things are unfair and you can actually feel, boy, people aren't responding. That's your fault. And you can take a blame for something and you can process with anger or things can happen where you might be hurt. And when you aren't praying, you start to process and process and over process and you start writing your own little story that's not really based on reality. And that kills your heart for ministry. 
But the reality is, is that when we pray, it keeps us dependent. It keeps us focused, as this passage says. Be watchful so that you're also thankful when you pray. Boy, that's a value we need to have. Because we, we're called not to have a resistance towards prayer. And boy, how do you build a resistance for prayer? You get hurried in your life. Hurry is the killer of the spiritual life. It has the, whatever's screaming the loudest gets the most attention. And you look to yourself to be the solution. Prayer looks to God. Even when you're hurt, prayer trusts God with people. Prayer trusts God's patience with people. Even when you have questions about people or about God, God invites us to ask him those questions in prayer. So pray regularly. Pray before you minister. Pray during the time you ministry. You minister. Pray after you're in ministry. Pray specifically. Thank God specifically. Ask God specifically. Praise God for specific items in people. Pray steadfastly in good times, in difficult times, in frustrating times, and in rewarding times. Pray, church. We can do this. We're called into it. And it liberates everything we do to bring glory to God. Case in point, what's the worst ministry job you could imagine? Changing diapers in the nursery. I just heard it. Yes, changing diapers. I had a hard enough time changing my own kids' diapers, and then I got to change someone else's. I just start gagging just thinking about it. But you know what? I grew up in the church. And there have been people who have been serving me and calling me into ministry throughout my life. And there were people who changed my diapers in the nursery. And it was interesting to hear after I'd grown up that I was no longer being changed by them, thankfully. But they would say, when you were in the nursery, I was praying for you. I was praying that God would develop a heart for him. I would pray, pray that God would use you. What system do you have to pray for people? It liberates everything you do. You're straightening chairs in the worship center. Pray for the people who will be sitting in those chairs. You're sweeping the floors. You may think, I'm a CEO. Why would I ever need to sweep a floor? Because there's going to be people who are going to walk in on those floors to hear the gospel. And you can be a blessing. You're making a rough place plain so that they can walk in and hear the gospel. We all have roles in this gospel ministry. None of them, and none of them in the, in the eyes of God are any, you know, better. It's the heart that we do it. And we're all called to pray in ministry. One of the, one of the things I do to try to pray for everyone by name in this church throughout the year is I send out I send out birthday cards or and anniversary cards. And you may get a card and just go, oh, it has Joe, nice, thanks. But I want you to know that I try to pray specifically by name for every one of you. I pray for your marriages, if you're in one, to, to grow and mature and develop. I pray for your birthday, thanking God for you and trusting you that you would be mature and assured in your faith and you advance the kingdom of God in your generation. I want to be that guy that's praying for the people I serve with. Striving in prayer. Another one that Paul calls us to is to be walking in wisdom. Look at verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
Now, wisdom is always contrasted in, in the scriptures with foolishness. And the book of Proverbs is that big book about wisdom, about Solomon transferring the wisdom God had given him to his son. In Proverbs 132, it says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Paul, on the other hand, says, Don't live foolishly. Don't discredit the name of Christ. Live consistently with Christ. Did you know that's what the word Christian means? It's not living in the United States with a cross around your neck. Being a Christian is a Christ follower. You follow Christ. It's who you are. It's what you do. Paul is real consistent in this book up to, up to this point because in, in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, as you've received him, being Jesus, so walk in him. We're called to be people who live by wisdom. See, the reality is, is God, as he fills your life with wisdom, he's going to entrust people to you who are living foolishly, who are living for themselves, living for things of this world, living for things that are, don't, don't, don't bless the heart of God. And you're going to be someone who by your life, because folks, last time I checked, people weren't looking in the scriptures for God. And yet God has placed you in their lives, your wisdom, you living wisely will reflect the light of the gospel. So we have prayer, we have walking in wisdom. And then Paul talks about speaking with grace. Look at verse six. It says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Matthew 5.13, Jesus taught us that you are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how can it be salty and be made salty again? In other words, don't meld or conform into this world that you lose the flavor of God. Because you're going to create thirst. You're going to create a hunger of God by how we speak, even how we speak. Seasoned with grace. Paul's going to give us some guidance of what that grace looks like in our speech. That we speak gently and respectfully. That we give people honor with the words we, we uh, say to them. That we're kind to them, but we're also, also truthful to them. Folks, words matter. Your words matter. You will be quoted. Nine times out of ten, you'll be quoted for the negative things you say. You'll be remembered for the negative things you say. That's why it's so important that we understand our influence with words. This summer, after I dropped off my son at the airport to go to tech school down in San Antonio, I was driving back from the airport and I was calling someone to invite them into ministry. And as I uh, called them on the phone, they didn't answer. So I got their answering message and it says, hey, I'm not here. If you leave your name and number after the beep, I'll, I'll call you back. So as they were saying that, a piece of metal fell off of a truck in front of me and it started skipping on the highway. You know what happens to me when that happens? Everything becomes the matrix. Everything slows down. 
and I'm like, no, no. And I'm driving the car like this and I'm, there's cars on each side of me and I'm seeing them kind of freak out a little bit. And it's skipping and it's skipping and it whaps the front quarter panel of my car. And at just that time, the, the answering machine went beep and I went, shoot! And I hung up. So you're this guy on the other side of the phone. You got one message. You listen to it. And all you hear is, shoot! So I had to call him back and I said, I'm so thankful that all I said was shoot. But this happened. This happened. And so folks, you're known when you come into a crisis, when you come into conflict, when everyone around you is, is fueling the gossip the gossip environment, when everyone else is critical, when everyone else is tearing others down, your words seasoned with grace need to come in. See, people want to know more about you in conflict and crisis when your words are kind and gentle. Treat people better even than they deserve. See, I want people on my inner circle who speak with grace. I really do. I want to know the truth, but, but I also need grace as they do that. Look at those three practices, striving in prayer, walking in wisdom, speaking with grace. One more thing about our speech. Your speech is also involves your posts on Facebook, your tweets on Twitter, your, your uh, comments on Instagram. But we tend to think that just a few people see those. How many friends do you have on that? Most of us pride ourselves with hundreds of friends. Every one of those hundreds sees your posts. And when you go crazy on that, come on, really? Who's that showing? That's showing more of anger. It's showing more of, of bitterness than it's showing of Christ. Season those places. May the glory of God be shown in those places. I'm not saying you shouldn't have them, but you should use them. They're an extension of who you are. So so realize that's a platform. Use it for the glory of God. But now Paul's going to show us this is who we are. Everyone's a minister. Every place is a ministry. He's going to ask us to pray while we serve, walk in wisdom while we serve, and speak with grace as we serve. But why? What is God going to do when we serve? Well, he's going to do two things. And Epaphras prayed for them. If you look in verse 12, he says this. It says that you may stand mature. Let's look at that, look at that first one. Mature. Uh, when we serve in ministry, you grow. You grow up. Epaphras just shared this prayer with Paul. And he prayed relentlessly that they would grow up. Because there's something about ministry That we've got to understand. God is passionately committed to our growth when we're in ministry. Passionately. Very much like you new mothers are really passionate about the percentiles of your child in growth. Yeah, you think about, you lose sleep when your kid isn't there, you know. And you consult experts. You seek guidance when your kid is not growing as they should physically. But yet we're not nearly as concerned spiritually for our kids as we are physically or academically or athletically. But there's something we've got to make that twist. God is passionately committed to your spiritual growth. 
And, and he wants his kids to grow. He wants us to grow in him. How do we do that? We get involved with what he's doing. We experience what he's doing. See, the reality is he simply cannot afford not to minister. We lose when we stay passive. I love studying the word and I love preaching the word. I love praying. I love worshiping God. I love this environment with you to worship God and to praise his name. I love my small group. I love growing with them. But you know what? I have to serve to grow. I'm at the point in my life and everyone here, we all need to grow. How do you grow? Get involved in ministry. God always grows your heart. The more you're involved in something, the more you're watching, the less you believe this whole stuff. The more you're engaged, the more you see and experience the work of God, the more you grow. But it's not just maturity, it's assurity. Look at the last part of verse 12. He said that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You see, ministry builds confidence. It builds confidence and purpose in your walk with Christ. Ministry answers the great questions of humanity. Like, why am I here? And Paul says to minister the gospel and it's all its forms to everyone around you. What am I to do? That's another big question. Paul says, pray, walk, speak. See, it deepens our connection and our compassion with people and for people, not only meeting their spiritual and, but also their physical needs. We need to help the poor because Jesus helped the poor. We need to share the gospel because Jesus commanded us to share the gospel. And the longer I passively watch ministry happen around me, the longer I'm going to well up within me a critical, cynical, and skeptical spirit towards ministry. So those of us who've been watching for a long time, I hear this often. They make statements like, I don't know, I'm, kind, I'm not sure this church is the place for me anymore. I don't know. I mean, it keeps building. I don't know that Christians are the best people to hang around. I don't know that the gospel is the greatest news. I mean, the ideology and all that. And if we're not careful, I'm not so sure that Jesus is really the only way anymore. See, Your ministry sometimes can dictate your theology if you're not careful. Because you grow and I grow and we all mature and we deepen in our understanding. We deepen in our trust when we're engaged, not when we're just watching God do things. And the opposite is true when we're engaged in ministry. Here's what I hear from people who are already connected. I hear, I love my church family. I love what we get to do in the inside and outside of our church. I see God using us. I love what, what, what I get to be involved with here. I hear, man, I've got deep relationships with Rich or I got deep relationships with Scott and we're growing deeper because I travel to Guatemala with them and I serve the Lord there or I'm dealing with kids in the nursery and man, I just, it was awesome to see how God has used me or I'm, I'm leading a group at Reverb on Wednesday night or I'm serving in Young Life or I'm serving at High Crest. This deepens our relationships when we're doing it all together. And you start realizing another point, that the gospel really is the greatest news we could ever give anyone. 
Although we give generously to physical needs, the greatest need in all of us is a spiritual need of of the gospel being professed and proclaimed through someone's life. And we start realizing over time that really Christ is all and in all through ministry. So there's a question I just have for you. It's a one word question. It's this. Available? Are you available? Because all of us have already, if you've trusted in Christ, you've already been called into ministry. That's not just something for me. That's something for all of us. And we've also learned that every place you are is a ministry opportunity. We know now what to do. The question is, will you do it? Is that something you want to begin and get into what God is doing? Now, there's some opportunities. There's some opportunities for us just today after this service is a ministry fair up in the up in the loft. Get connected to a place. You have people who will connect you. They are proven at connected the right people to the right places for the right reasons. Secondly, you don't even have to walk up the stairs. When you leave, you're going to be presented with Highcrest on the left and Haiti on the right. And you're going to have an opportunity. There's over 400 gifts that we can bless those two environments with at Christmas time. There's also 400 different places for you to serve. Over the Christmas breaks and and pretty much all of them are a one evening or a one day opportunities for you to get connected to wade in the water. Some of us need that. We need to wade in versus jumping in, especially if you don't trust this whole ministry thing. We just get in and we're like, hey, hey, it's really cool. We're doing the backstroke here and you're going, the water seems a little cold. I mean, get in. We can just get your feet wet in ministry because God always builds a greater passion when you're connected to him. Folks, here's the reality. Some of the last words of Jesus were go and make disciples of all nations. Some of the last words of Paul in the book of Colossians is go and pray and walk wisely and speak with grace. If it's The last thing they said, don't you think it ought to be our first priority in life? Yeah, that's what an important thing is left for. It's some of the last things you say. Some of the greatest needs for this world. So let's be that church. Can I just let every generation represented in this room, let's be that generation that God can rely on to advance his kingdom in our community and our world so that Jesus Christ can be all and in all, everything we do. Let's pray. Father, may may we be that church. May we be those people who follow you and minister with you and each other to advance your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.